0: Uh, verse 16, if you will, for if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the roots be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, The branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also... If they abide not still in unbelief shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off out of the olive I'm sorry, for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into the good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches be grafted in unto their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that, that, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And again, I read that passage, and it's a tremendous passage, and I read that so we kind of begin to get the language of, that Paul is using into our thinking. And again, you can ask 10 different people, and you'll get 10 different opinions about this. And you'll get folks who who laser focus in on the issue of the olive tree, which by the way is just an illustration that Paul's using. And you get people who, you know, if you're the branches and you're broken off, so you can lose your salvation, and boom, and you got people that laser in that way. And I don't laser in any way, any any of those two ways. Just here's what what are we when we come to the passage, where are we? Well, what did we learn last time coming out of 11.15? For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Well, we talked last time about the casting away. The status of the world has been changed. The status of the world is now, the world is savable without the nation of Israel. But we didn't notice the end of verse 15 because the end of verse 15 is what is setting up now 16 to 25. And I didn't talk about the end of verse 15 last time because we're talking about it today. Notice how he ends verse, what shall the receiving of them. And remember I told you we got to watch our pronouns here. Who's the them? Verse 14. For if by any means I may provoke to emulation them, which are my flesh, and might save some of them. Who's the them? Israel. Unbelieving Jew. So what if, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? One day, what's going to happen to the Jew? He's going to receive them back. So then Paul starts now in verse 16 and to 25, and he's going to use an illustration to demonstrate some things. And uh, we're going to kind of introduce this section. Look at verse 16, hopefully. <laughs> That's why I said earlier, I wish we had three hours. We could do this and and at least get through verse 18 in three hours. So, and we will, it'll just take us three Sundays, okay? (laughs) But the problem is, is what happens in between the week? You tend to forget what we look, talk, so we got to review a little bit here. Again, the issue is, verse 13, who's he talking to? For I speak to you, Gentiles. That's the Gentile world. We looked at this last time. It's not just, he's not talking to the church, the body of Christ. Now, he's writing Romans. So who's Romans written to? The church, the body of Christ. But who's Paul? Paul has an international ministry. He has a global ministry. He's going out to all the Gentile nations, all the people groups. And again, that's the context of chapters 9, 10, and 11. Go back to chapter 9. Because when you get into... This section 16 and following, if you don't remind yourself where you're at in the book of Romans, you make it say some things it's not saying at all. 9-1. Again, remember where we're at in Romans, in this third section of our foundation, 9-10 and 11. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness, and can you sorrow in my heart, that I would could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Who are what? Israelites. Okay? Who to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law? And the service of God and the promise, whose are the fathers and of whom also, as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. That's exactly what Ephesians 2, and 12 said. We looked at it last time. In time past, what were you? You're uncircumcised, you're without Christ, you're without God, you're aliens, you're strangers from the commonwealth, you're cut off. That's your status. Who's the favor? Israel is. Why? Because it's to whom pertaineth there. So for 1,500 years or better, who's the main people, God's people? Israel. Now look at verse 6. Not as though the word of God have taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And that's now the issue in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Come over to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1. The issue now is, is what has is dispensationally happened to Israel. Why is this happening to Israel? What is Israel? They are what? Cut off. They're cast, they have stumbled, they have fallen, they're cast away. Why is that? Well, not all Israel are Israel. So there's that remnant, and he builds that remnant doctrine so that you understand that there is a little flock, there is a, and they belong in Israel's program, but the rest of everybody is what? Apostasy, unbelieving. 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the church, the body of Christ. No, it's for who? Israel. That, that what, was, what would happen? They might be saved. Saved how? Remember, we asked that question, and we went down. Chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Well, wait a minute, you just telling me he, they, they are. And now he said, well, they are because of unbelief, but what is he doing now? He's changed the status of the world, verse 15, that he can now do what? Go in and deal with the Gentile world, the, unbelief, the heathen, the unbelievers, directly, without having to go through that channel of blessing, Genesis 12 of the nation of Israel. So what's happened to Israel dispensationally is the issue here. God has changed their national status, their favored status. He's interrupted their program. And that's and what 9, 10, and 11 is doing is here's why, and here's what he's doing with Israel today. What is he doing? Hey, if you're going to believe me and believe my word, believe what the Apostle Paul is sending to you. Remember, we looked all through Acts. As his manner was, where did he go? Synagogue. Why did he go there? 11-11 to provoke him to jealousy. Eleven, fourteen to provoke him to emulation. He's got a provoking ministry. If they want to do what God's word says for, to be done today, who are they going to go and follow? The Apostle Paul, his gospel, the message given to him. That little flock sits over there, because of the 2,000-year delay, roughly or better, what has happened to them? They've died off. They just, go, they just quit existing. He, Paul never goes to the little flock. He never addresses the little flock. He, he will mention some members of them but as being on his side and working with him, but he never—who's he, he going to? Heathen, unbelieving. Who's in the synagogue in Israel? that unbelieving, that vain religious system. Man, I wish you guys would come Wednesday night be in Mark with us. It's right where we're talking about. Because the Lord nails them in Mark about this because they're already there. But he's dealing with them. Now he's not dealing with them, he's dealing, and now he's not dealing through them, he's dealing with them. That little Syrophoenician woman in Mark 7, she says, But the dogs need to be under the table eating the crumbs, you know. And that's exactly where the Gentile dog was. So they're waiting for what to happen. That channel to get unplugged and the channel of blessings to flow, and they're not there. So as we come now into, you're in 11, I hope, get to 16. As we come here into this section of great confusion, we see Paul now going to demonstrate That, yes, Israel is cast away. Yes, Israel has fallen. Yes, the Gentile is the benefactor of this. But what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? That's the question. He's not done with Israel. He's not done with the prophetic program. That's what Paul is going to do now. He's going to use a simple illustration of the olive tree. I I think about that. An olive tree. Who does the olive tree mean something to? The Jew. You know what a Gentile looks at an olive tree and says, where does the oil come from? Oh, olive oil. Let's cook with olive oil. You see, a Gentile has no connection to the issue of of an olive tree. We think about olive mill down in Queen Creek. Let's go get some good stuff, you know. But that Jew looks at that olive tree and goes, what? Whoa, wait a minute, dude. What are you doing with my thing here? What's going on here? So he's going to use a simple illustration through here. And it starts with the the lump and the first fruit, and we'll get into all that in here in just a minute. So Paul is not big N-O-T not talking about or dealing with salvation unto eternal life. He's not dealing with Gentile justification. He's not even dealing with Israel justification. He's already dealt with that in the first five chapters of Romans, foundation number one. It would be illogical to say that he's doing it again in 9, 10, and 11, especially eleven, sixteen, 16, and following. So the guys, the covenant reform guys and the covenant theology guys and all of the people who say, well, the branch is broken off. That's them losing their salvation and all that. You you have no understanding then of the first five chapters of Romans. Romans 5, have you read that lately? You ought to read the first 11 verses again. Romans 5 verses 1 through 11 solidifies the fact that your justification is a done deal never to have to be redone or worked over again. So then why would he have to do it again here in 11? He doesn't. He's doing something else. So, number one, Paul is not dealing with salvation unto eternal life or forgiveness of sins. He's already done that. Number two, Paul is referring to the fact that he is talking to the Gentiles, And he's talking about the fact that the Gentile world and the status of the world has been changed. Okay, that's what we looked at yesterday. (laughs) Feels like yesterday, last week. Okay, what did we learn in 11.11? They stumbled, they don't fall, then they fall. Then Then they diminish away, verse 12. With me? Verse 11, he says, I have a provoking to jealousy issue. Verse 13, for I speak to you who? Gentiles. By the way, who's the you? The Gentiles. The Gentile world. Again, he's not limiting this to a conversation with the church, the body of Christ. Because he's doing something here with them. He's going to... I speak to you Gentiles. Think about verse, oh, look at verse 18. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root. You see the thou? Who would the thou be? The Gentiles, the you, the ye, thee, thou, you know, the, the, that group. What are they do? What, what is a potential hazard for the Gentile to do in verse 18? Boast. See that? Look at verse uh, 20. Well, because of unbelief, they were, by the way, why was Israel cast aside? Unbelief. Why were they fallen? Unbelief. That's what 9 and 10 proved. See, this should not be a new hiccup to any of us who are studying this. And I kid you not, great guys, good guys, I love them dearly. And you know what they do? They get going and then they hiccup. And it's like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't hiccup. Keep moving. <laughs> you know? Keep gulping it in. Don't, don't hiccup. Because what do they do? They say, well, see if, well, because of unbelief they were broken off and thou standest by faith. Watch. Be not high-minded. But what? But fear. You see that? There's an issue. There's a potential for the church to do what? To do this? To be high-minded? Verse twenty-five. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your what? Own conceits. You see, there's a warning here. There, there's a tendency. There's a chance for the church to say what? We are replacing Israel. There's a chance. There's a opportunity, not that I shouldn't say there is, there was and there will be a we are spiritual Israel conversation. And what has mainline Christianity done today? They've done just that, haven't they? They've come in, they've done a little side the two-step, they use the code words. So code words in the Old Testament are, are uh, when you read Israel, it's really bo- church. When you read this, it's really body. It's, uh, and... Paul's like, don't do that. Be careful here, guys. We, the, only no, Notice verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant. Ignorance. <laughs> Six times he says, don't be an ignorant, brethren. Only ignorance can conclude that we now take up where Israel failed that we become the benefactor of Israel's prophetic blessings. So therefore, we then what? Replace Israel in the what? The prophetic program. Only ignorance runs in that line. That's what Paul's saying in verse 25. Don't be in that line. Don't operate in ignorance. Understand what's going on. Paul doesn't... He wants us to operate where? In understanding and wisdom and knowledge. He doesn't want you in ignorance. Don't be over here where you're not, you know. By the way, ignorance is not stupid. Ignorance is just without knowledge, no understanding. By the way, verse 25, your own conceits. Guess what? It happens. And that's what Paul is warning. I speak to you Gentiles. Do you see what's happening to Israel? What's happened to them? They've been cast off. They've been, they're fallen. They've been set aside. See? And now God is turning and blessing you. The salvation has now come unto who? The Gentiles. The riches of the world. But man, don't you get a fat head and think you're better than Israel. look, Look there if, verse 19, Thou will say then, The branches were broken off. That I, see the I, might be what? Grafted in. Oh, I'm, Israel couldn't do it, but I can. You know what? You couldn't keep the law given to to Israel if you had, even on your best day, you couldn't do that. You know how I know that? I can drive by in a new shiny vehicle in front of your house, and you will what? Covet that new shiny vehicle. You know why? Because I know you. I know your what? Your sin nature. So when Paul's doing here, by the way, what does Paul do in verse 26? And so all Israel... Shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. What's Paul do? Paul, he says, Warning Gentiles, don't think you got something special over Israel, because what will God do one day? He will resume Israel's program. God has not abandoned Israel in a permanent manner. God, ha- their, their casting away isn't a fatal blow. It's a temporary thing. And that's the whole point in 16 to 25 in the illustration of the olive tree. Israel, Paul's going to use that illustration. Look back up there. It's just, it's, Verse 17, and if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, that's the Gentiles, being a what? Wild olive tree. But yet there's a good olive tree, isn't there? Boast not, verse 18. Verse 19, you're going to say something. Verse 20, you better be careful. Verse 21, for if God spared not the what? You see that natural? Natural. What happens in agriculture when you take two trees and you graft them together? Can you graft an apple and an orange tree together? Not usually. Usually it doesn't work. Why? Different species. But what has God done with the Gentile and the Jew? He's taking a very unnatural moment and did what? We're making one, tw- one new body now. See that? The natural is, the, is everybody stays in their lane, as they like to say today. God says, no, nope, we're going to do this. So Paul is going to use the illustration here to demonstrate the naturalness of the resumption of Israel's program one day. When, by the way, the end of verse 25, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. When the church, the body of Christ, is, is come to its... Fullness, which isn't mean that there's a set number. I I love the guys. There's a set number, and when that last man gets saved, it's over. You know, that is not found in Scripture. That's found in a couple theology books and wishes. Why? You know why they say that? So they whip you up to go evangelism time. Because you might save the last guy in, and boy, what a feather in your cap that will be, you know. So, Wednesday night, So went and knocked in on, you know, the whole bit. They just when we're supposed to be doing the work of evangelist all the time, okay. Anyway, Paul then quotes the Old Testament because what does he say? God said, "This is my covenant," and what's he going to do? He's going to do it with Israel. He's not done with it. So Paul is going to use here an illustration of the olive tree. Back up to verse 16. And he's going to do it to demonstrate several things. First of all, he's going to do it to demonstrate the naturalness of resuming Israel's program. He's going to use the illustration to illustrate the naturalness of grafting Israel back into her olive tree, to reattach the branches. It's natural. To do that. You understand that if you've dealt any with agriculture or farming or anything, you find a broken branch, what can you do? You can put it back on the tree with a little loving, and it'll do what? It can reattach itself. Okay? There's a, there's a naturalness. He's also using the illustration to demonstrate the casting away of Israel is only temporal. It's not a permanent or fatal blow. Okay, the fourth issue is, and we're going to see these as we go through. I'm just giving them to you in case I don't get them covered. We're not going to see all these today, trust me. Everybody's like, oh, man, four points. That's, you know, it's an hour a point. Literally, it is. And we're on lesson 120 in my note. So we've got another 100 to go to get through 12 to 16. We're not even there yet. okay. I want to go slow through this because it gins up a lot of conversation, but I don't want to go so slow that we're like, okay, is he done yet? You know, 10, ten or 8, 8 or 9 or 10 studies on the olive tree is a little excessive. Okay, we're not going to do that. Anyway, the last point, or well, not the last one, to, he uses that olive tree to illustrate that the Gentiles' grafting in is also temporal. And one day we will be broken off. And again, he's not talking about justification unto eternal life. Okay? What's he talking about? A status change. The world has had a status change. That status change, 1115, is what? Temporal. How do we know? Look at the olive tree. Okay? What's going to happen one day? Well, what does verse 22 say? Look at verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. So we're going to learn some goodness and severity of God, aren't we? Yes. On them which fell severity. Who fell? Israel. So you see the severity of God on that fall. By the way, they just didn't fall. they diminished away. They were provoked. Then he says, verse 22, "But toward thee. Now who's the thee? The Gentiles. Goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. What's going to happen one day? The Gentiles will be cut off. Oh no, we're going to lose our salvation. No, what are we going to have? We're going to have our when the dispensation of grace changes, not changes ends, comes to a conclusion. In the rapture, you have those noisemakers. You've got the shout, you've got the voice of the archangel, and you've got the trump of God. The shout is God saying the dispensation of grace is over. It's a shout of victory, okay? Voice of Michael, who does Michael stand for? Daniel 12, he stands as the prince of Israel. He says it's Israel's program back on. And the trump of God is the blow, there's two blows, one to get the dead home, one to get the alive home, okay? But that shout says what? The DOG is over, what does that do to the gentile world? Breaks them off. Changes their condition. Now what do they have to do? They got to go crime black crawl back under the Abrahamic covenant. And bless Israel to get the blessing or go and trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, do the whole. Now that wall's what? Back up. So when we talk here about when Paul talks here about breaking and being broken off, he's not talking about you lose your salvation. He's talking about when? When the fullness of the Gentiles come in. By the way, that's how you know what that means. Because the Lord in the Old Testament will use the times of the Gentiles. And that's a political statement of Leviticus 26 and the fifth course of judgment. This is the fullness of the Gentiles. Okay? We will get down there, we'll look at that. And if not, again, remind me. Because... Just, just so much here, okay? Now, look at verse 22. Let me ask you a question. He says, but toward thee goodness, if thou wilt continue in his goodness. Has the world continued in his goodness over the last 2,000 years? No, it has not. So then what could God have done? He could have cut him off at any time, couldn't he? As soon as he took Paul home, he could have said, you're done, we're done. But he didn't, did he? What what do we begin to see? We begin to see his what? His long suffering. We begin to see his grace. Do you know when you woke up this morning and you were still here, you're now wonderfully involved in another day of his grace. And you ought to look at it that way. Now, God, I mean, God has the, because of the dispensational change, because of the fall of Israel, because of the status of Israel, God has the ability to go do something for humanity now. When humanity, when, man, when humanity has already done what to him? Rejected him. And he can say, here's my goodness. So as we, again, come into this section, mostly introduction up here so far, we see Paul is going to demonstrate, using the olive tree, the naturalness of resuming the prophetic program, the naturalness of grafting Israel back in, the temporary status, therefore, of Israel being cast away, and then the temporary status of the Gentiles being grafted in. And and again, you've got to remember where we're sitting contextually. Why is Israel broken off? Well, what does verse 20 say? They were broken off because of what? Of unbelief. See, And that's the whole of 9, 10, and 11. The reason Israel's in her predicament is because of her unbelief. What's going to put the Gentile world in the same predicament one day? unbelief. So, when Paul speaks, I speak to you Gentiles, verse 13, he's speaking to them in this section, one, be careful, don't get high-minded, don't get big fat head, don't think you're something special when you're really not. (laughs) You're ungodly. You're an enemy. You're a sinner. And then also, We have to remind ourselves of the end of verse number eleven, that of that issue of provoking them to jealousy, and then in verse fourteen, the issue of provoking them to uh, emulation, that issue of being the copycat. So as we dive in here, what are we again? What is Paul speaking to the Gentiles about? What does eleven eleven say? Well, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall. So they do fall. What's the result of their fall? Salvation is what? Coming to the Gentiles. Do you think that's going to provoke Israel a little bit? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Why? Ephesians 2, 11, and 12. We looked at last time. What's our condition? Without Christ, without hope, without God, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, that's in, that's in there. The beep is in there. Okay? Or it's over in that side of the room somewhere. All right? See, that's the issue. What is he doing? He's provoking them. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. Now, if the fall of them be the, notice, the riches of the world. Do you know that the world is rich and they don't know it? They are rich. Come back to chapter 2 of Romans. And again, folks, we have seen this already, chapter 2 of Romans. They, They don't understand how rich, the world doesn't understand how rich they are. Now, by the way, being rich doesn't mean, you, you, you ever hear the story about the guy who owned the first oil field in Texas and didn't know it? It's an old farmer, an old rancher, and he's basically bankrupt, sells his ranch out to the oil company, but it wasn't an oil company at the time, it was just another man, for literally not even, less than pennies on an acre, poor house. The oil guy comes in, drills down, pumps out, and he's a multi-billionaire today. What's the difference? The oil guy knew what he was looking at. The rancher had no clue. One is ignorant. One is what? Wisdom and knowledge, understanding. One knows nothing until what happens. Well, you guys remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Up from the grave, up from the, you know, Texas gold. Or Texas tea, or whatever, coffee, whatever it was. How did he know that? How did old Jeb know that? The writers told him, but I get that. But he went and did what? Went to see somebody, got some information, and realized how rich he was, see? The world is rich. They just don't believe it. They don't know it. Being rich doesn't mean that they're going to, that it doesn't say that they all will believe it, see? It's unto all. The world's rich, but what? It's only rich if you know what you're looking at and looking for. You follow that? All right, Romans 2. Look at Romans 2. Look at verse 4. Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What leads the world to repentance? The goodness and the long suffering and the forbearance of who? Of God. Well, that's Calvary. We understand that. Verse 5, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You know what? It's going to happen. There's going to be a day of judgment one day. Why? Because not everybody's believing how rich they are. You're in Romans 2. You're close to Acts. Look at Acts 14. I think you know, you think about Paul. What is Paul speaking to the Gentile world? You are rich. Salvation has come unto the Gentiles. The Gods has sent his salvation to you directly now. And that's rich. Acts 14, uh, verse 16. Who, talking about. The Lord, about God, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. There's Genesis 11. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful season, filling our hearts with with food and gladness. Look at how simple the world could understand how rich they are, the goodness of God, by just simply looking at creation. See, that? See how simple that is? This isn't, this isn't brain surgery. I talked to Leigh yesterday. I went and saw him. He had the surgery on his legs. It took him like five hours to do that surgery. That's not a simple surgery when you're taking someone's legs. you got to get in there and get all the little things done. God says, I'm going to keep it simple, stupid. I'm just going to send rain and the seasons and look at you just got to believe me. And they say, what? No, thank you. Come back to Romans 11. I got to get going. Hey, all the sideline stuff. Verse 13. Again, what is the rich? The world is rich. It just doesn't know it. And I know there's a crazy idea out there coming out of 2 Corinthians 5 that everybody has been, had their sins forgiven. So there's people in hell with their sins forgiven and they just didn't know it. That's not the case at all. That's not what Paul's getting at. When he says the riches of the world, he's talking about what's available to the world. What are they sitting on? They're sitting on an oil field and they don't know it. They're over here doing something else. So he says, verse 13, for I speak to you Gentiles. And again, you have to follow and pay attention to the pronouns. You, Gentiles. Verse 17, and if... Some of the branches be broken off, and thou, who? The Gentiles, being a wild olive tree. Notice we're a wild olive tree. Wild, uncultivated, not taken care of. Wild, we're not producing good fruit. If we're producing any fruit at all. We haven't been fertilized. We haven't been dunged around. We haven't been taken care of. We're just out there in the wild. You go down to that olive farm down there, and you saw, I was talking to a, one of the guys working. I said, well, where is the farm? He goes, oh, it, I can't tell you. It's a hidden secret. I'm like, that's fine. It's just not here. He goes, oh, no, this is for you tourist people here. We got you know. Why? Because they're out there, and what do they do? They keep it clean. They take care of it. They keep it watered. They keep it fertilized. What are they doing to it? They're protecting it. There's Israel. There's the good olive tree. You and I, what are we? We're, just, we're nothing but wild, man. You're just, boom, you're gone. Verse 17, we're grafted in among them. Again, who's the them? Verse 14, my flesh, Israel. And with them partake us of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So, again, you have to watch the, the, um, the pronouns are here. By the way, verse 20, because of unbelief, they... There's the them, there's Israel, we're broken off. And thou, there's you, the Gentiles. So you have to pay attention to these as we go through here. And again, Paul is using this illustration, this language of the olive tree, because who is he provoking? Israel. He's not provoking the little flock. They're set. They're case law. They're done. He's not provoking... He's over here provoking Israel to jealousy, to emulation. He's over here dealing with the Gentile world. That's why, he's gonna, that's why he uses the olive tree. He doesn't have anything to do with justification. It's already answered and dealt with. He's not talking about you being Israel. He's going to deal with that. He's talking about here's, there is a natural interaction here. That is, it's a natural thing for Israel to be set aside. It's a temporary thing it's a natural thing to graft in that wild olive Gentile and it's also a temporary thing so there's a there's a a flow here. Paul uses the Jewish illustration again to provoke Israel. why is that guy talking about my tree because the olive tree and we'll talk about the olive tree next time okay belongs to me. It, it, to Israel. Why is he doing it? What's he doing? What's he talking about? What's going on? You know, I think about the um, oh, the TV show, uh, Different Strokes. What are you talking about, Willis? You know, that that's that's what he's that's what he's trying to get Israel to do. What? Wake up! Your status has changed. You're not going to get there because you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going to have to get there now because you trust shed the finished cross work of Christ and become a part of the church, the body of Christ. See, why I speak to you Gentiles as the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. Again, what's he magnifying? Not himself, his office because what does the Jew look for? Who's in office? Who's in charge? Who's the leader? That's why Paul will talk about Peter, and he'll say, I'm not chiefest apostle. Why would you say chiefest? What is Israel doing? That's in Corinthians. What is Israel doing? They're looking for who's in charge. A guy one time says, Rick, why do you wear a shirt and tie and a coat? I said, because you need to know who's in charge, and you ain't in charge, and you sit down and be quiet now. And he's like, whoa, okay. I said, no, because what happens? People come in, they want to know who's in charge. And if I showed up here in flip-flops and tank tops and shorts, I, would just, I wouldn't look. First of all, you wouldn't respect what, what I'm doing. There's a respect about what we're doing, <laughs> obviously. There's a reason why officers, policemen, and firefighters wear a uniform. There's a respect there in what they are doing. Now, the public's supposed to respect that. Not all of them do. But there's a respect in what they are doing. Anyway, verse 16. He's going to use a simple illustration here to show the naturalness of God once again, resuming the prophetic program. Verse 16, For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. Israel is in a fallen condition. They've been broken off, they've been cast away, but it's not a permanent thing here. So he used again warning the Gentile be careful okay now all that's review and introduction so we got 15 minutes to get verse 16 good luck all right so hold on cuz here we're going to go for if the first fruits be holy think about that word holy set apart for a specific use okay first fruits who are they see that's the questions who 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 are they? Well, verse seventeen. Who are the branches? And if some of the branches be broken off, well, who is that? Who are we talking about? We're talking about Israel, and but we're talking about their status, okay. But who is Paul talking to? In verse thirteen, he's talking to the Gentiles. See, so you've got to begin to kind of ferret this out here. He's yes, he's talking to Israel but he's adding into the conversation the Gentiles as well. So when he says first fruits, he is talking about Israel, but now he's also talking about who? Gentiles. He's talking about both, because what does Ephesians 2 teach us? What is God doing in the church? He's making of twain, Jew and Gentile, what? One new man now. So when you get into here... You, you have to begin to kind of pay attention to what's going on. And again, verse 20, why are they broken off? Well, because of unbelief. but then what does he say to you? Be not high-minded, but fear. See how he's got both. He's talking to a global audience. You see, I hope you see that. He's not talking to the little flock. By the way, he never deals with the little flock. He's dealing now with a global ministry, an international ministry. He says, look at what happened to the Jews, and look at what is happening to you, Gentiles. Look at what happened to, what happened to the Jews. They were broken off. What's happening to you? You're moving in. You're being, you're being brought into the equation. He's demonstrating something here, very critical, that God is suspended. God is right, righteous, to suspend his program with Israel, and he's just as righteous to go do something new and different with the Gentiles. And here's how he's going to demonstrate that. First fruits. Now think about what the first fruit is. The first fruit of the crop. Okay? Let's take an apple. Because I like apples. And I eat a ton of apples. My favorite is the gala. But I really like the Macintosh. problem with Macintosh is they're very short-lived. They're very very short. I hate Granny Smith. Great in a pie, though. So if you want to make me an apple pie, Granny Smith, okay, good. But just to eat. What is the first fruit on that Macintosh tree? The first fruit, the first harvest, right? But what is it producing? It's producing a a product, isn't it? So if the first fruit be holy, the first of the crop is what? Holy. What what are we going to do? We're going to set it aside for a purpose. You, you remember all of the the agriculture, all of the, the farming things in Scripture about the farmer eats of the harvest first, the labor is worthy, and he's working and he's taking first fruits. Now think about the illustration here, because then he says, "And if the root be holy, I'm sorry, the lump is what, also holy." Now. What can you do with an apple? You can make applesauce. You can make apple pie. You can make an apple strudel. You can make a, man, I'm getting hungry. You know, you can make a, the lump is is the byproduct of the fruit. Catch the, we're not talking about the olive tree yet. What's the byproduct of peaches? Peach cobbler, peach jam. I see. Well, you can just go on and on. You know, fig, fig preserves, fig jam, fig, fig Newtons. You know the whole bit, right? Okay. See, what, so when the lump is holy, so if the first fruits are good, which they are, they're holy. They're set apart for a very specific use. Then what is also holy, the lump? Do you do you see the progression here? Then he says what? Then the root be holy, so are the what? The branches. Now, if if the first fruits are holy, then the harvest is what? Holy too. So then the root has to be holy, and that makes the branches holy. Because the branches, the root, that's the source of life, where the life of the tree is. What tells the branch to produce an apple? The root does. Cricket's in the room, but that's okay. Think it through. Okay? The root defines what the branches are going to produce. That's why when you graft in two different fruit trees, citrus trees, you can come up with some very wonderful citrus. Okay? Or you can come up with something that the dogs won't even eat. The pigs won't even eat, see? Why? Because the roots is the issue. If the root is holy, then obviously so are the branches. So the the issue isn't what is holy and what isn't holy. The issue is the root. Where life is, the branches are just simply expressing what the root tells it to express so when he says if the for if the first fruits now by the way in the old testament who do the first fruits belong to israel it's one of their feast they're to bring in the first fruits of that harvest to the to the levite to the temple to worship and the for the tithe offering and all that you see how a jew instantly know instantly you and i someone huh what in the world is he talking about Because you as a Gentile, you have no clue. This isn't talking about you. He's using an illustration to do what? Gin up a little. Hey, wait a minute. What you doing with my thing over here talking to them about? The first fruits be holy. The lump is also holy. So the, 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 the branch that the apple grows on is holy. Then the product that the branch is holy as well. And the harvest is holy. The whole, contra- the whole thing is holy. Now, you've got to grasp that principle. Because that's what he's going to use now through the rest of it. Because he's now going to begin to talk about a good olive tree and a wild olive tree. And the fact is, is that he took these two and he's put them together. He took an unnatural event and made a... Look over with me at 2 Corinthians 5. You have to catch this in order to really move forward in the passage. Verse 16 is the gateway. If you can catch what he's doing, and again, he's not talking about justification or eternal life or you being Israel. Spiritually Israel, replacement Israel, he's using a principle. What is the principle? If the first fruits be holy, if the harvest is holy, then what does that mean? Everything back is holy as well, even the branches. Okay? Now, think about 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 21. We've got five minutes We'll do this, and then we'll pick in 17. Because if I start the issue of the olive tree, then we will be here, and it's Mother's Day, and I don't want to be here. We'll do it next time, okay? I, I love mothers and everything, and I loved studying and teaching even more. But it just won't. It'll just cut in, and then you'll look at me, and you'll hate me, and I'll get the daggers coming at me from the looks, okay? But just look at Second Corinthians 5. Look at verse 21. Think about the natural and the unnatural thing. For he hath see that word made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. The he is God the Father made him God the Son to be what? To be sin. He took holy God the Father, took holy God the Son and made him to be Unholy, a worm, Psalm says. And it hinges on that word made. To make something is to take something that is normally this and put it into something it never was intended to be. Now finish the verse. That we might be what? Made the righteousness of God in Him. What is your condition? Romans 5. Sinner, ungodly, without strength, dead, aliens, strangers, without God, without hope, no Christ. And then what does he do? He makes you into something. He makes you into his righteousness. What did he do? He took an unnatural thing and made it a natural thing. What I want you to catch is that principle. So when you come back to Romans 11, verse 16, the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. If you're going to say, this is right, if I say I want a gala apple, and I go to the gala tree, I don't know if it's a gala tree or not, I don't remember how they make them up, but they do, because galas aren't a natural tree. If I want a red delicious I don't remember my produce days well enough. You know how you put stuff out of your mind when you leave it? Uh, that's produce. I have to look it up nowadays when I could quote it down for you. You go to the Red Delicious. What's on that tree? Red Delicious. Why? Because that's what the whole schematic is. Okay? Follow that? The principle. If this is holy, it's got a special use, then the whole thing is going to be what? Holy. Holy. Okay. Now, do something with me. Go to James 1. James 1. Because this is where James chapter 1 you begin to get all of the weird ideas about this him talking about little flock and believing remnant and Israel. We'll just do this. Pick up 17 next time, okay? Look at James 1. Look at verse 1. James, the servant of God and of the, tr- of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So who's he talking to? Twelve tribes scattered abroad. Now, okay, that's who he's talking to. Now look at verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So who's the firstfruits? believing remnant are so then paul must be talking to the believing remnant in eleven sixteen, but he's not because the context is verse 15 Eleven fifteen, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead he's talking about the status and the temporary issues and the, he's not done with israel right now he's doing something else do you see that? It so you begin to use that first fruits. By the way, if you come back to Numbers 15. Numbers 15. In Numbers 15, Moses gives them uh, the law here. Verse 17, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land, whither I bring you, then it shall be that, that when ye eat the bread of the land... Ye have offered up a heave offering unto the Lord, ye shall offer up a cake of the first of your dough for a heave offering, as ye do the heave offering of the threshing floor, so shall ye heave it. Of the first of your dough it shall give you the Lord, uh, give un, uh, shall get, ye shall give unto the Lord an heave offering in your generation. That's what Paul's pulling on, but he's pulling on the principle. Why? He's provoking Israel to jealousy. You follow? Okay? So in 1116, here's the gateway. What's the principle? If it's going to be said of this to be right, then it's got to be right where? All the way down. Okay? Because what's going to happen? Here's what's been said of Israel. What's their status? Cast away. Cut off. So then what is it? All the way down, they are broken off. What's the status of the Gentile? The riches of the world. Salve, the status change. So what's going to happen to it? All the way down, you're grafted in. And what happens is, by the way, in verse 17, they root in on the fatness of it and all this stuff, and we'll talk about that as we get there. I'm trying to stay out of the olive tree so bad, okay? But you, So you just have to catch. 16 is setting the principle. That's all 16's doing. If it's good here, it's good all the way. If it's bad here, it's bad all the way. Okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the study of it, and the look into it. And uh, even as we go through the slower of the things here a little bit, that we would just grasp what you have for us to see in it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.